Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, you've got to hold and give and do it at the right time. You can be slow or fast, but you must get to the line. They'll always hit you and hurt you. Defend and attack. There's only one way to beat them. Get round the back. Catch me if you can, because I'm an England man. And what you're looking at is the master plan. We ain't no hooligans. This ain't a football song. Three lions on my chest. You know we can't go wrong. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com, and I'm joined by my co-host, Simon Maddox. How are you, Simon? All right, Barnes in the house. Oh, yeah. yeah. Spitting bars by John Barnes. That is, that's lovely stuff. I mean, obviously, it's the start of Euro, I guess, it's Euro 2021 now. It's not Euro 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it's the Saturday after the first game where Italy beat Turkey 3-0. I've got football fever. <laughs> I really do. I'm, I'm about one step away from buying all the Panini stickers online, <laughs> wall charts and everything. I was a bit disappointed that the first goal of the tournament was an own goal. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is a bummer. Wasn't what anyone hoped for, really. Although it was scored by a man who plays in the Premier League. <laughs> so shout out Soyuncu. Well done on that. Did you see the opening <laughs> ceremony? No, no. I, I just uh, I tuned in in time for the national anthems mm. and then realised it's been years since I've seen footballers sing a national anthem. I enjoy watching the game. It's, it's nice to have football again now the Premier League is over and fantasy football's wrapped up and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, looking forward to the first England game. Mm-hmm. Hopefully we can, we can do all right. But yeah, anything's possible. Yeah. I think that's it. I think it's the possibility. Obviously, as England fans, we've seen some of the worst performances in the last 10 years of, of an England team. This year, I can legitimately support Germany without feeling like I'm a bit of a, a hanger-on now that I've got citizenship, so I can feel like, yeah, <laughs> I really am involved, you know? Well, I mean, also, the German team are also based in Bavaria for this tournament. Their home base, which I think is what they're calling it in English, uh, is in Herzog and Aura. So, yeah, 30 minutes from mm. me, a little bit further from Nick, but uh, we're, we're definitely in their neck of the woods yeah yeah represent but, I mean I'd say I've got my Belgium shirts I've got one <laughs> Belgium shirt and two Belgium zip ups so I'll be very happy if mm. they can get uh, to the end of the tournament as well so I'm hedging my bets with England, Germany and Belgium uh, hopefully one of those three <laughs> cannot break my heart <laughs> only three of the strongest yeah. teams there you. I'm not, I haven't gone for France or Italy so like, I, I at least hate the colour blue what is disappointing <laughs> and what usually happens I don't see it much in Germany but it's a big thing in Britain a football pool or you have some kind of uh, draw a team out the hat and that's your team for the tournament and mm. uh, everyone pays a bit of money and you win some money we haven't got one of those this year obviously it's more it's more difficult to do that I mean weirdly our friendship group did it for the Eurovision Song Contest but not the Euro footballs it's always nice when it's it's suddenly become very summery it's really hot at least in Augsburg it's really hot today uh, I got football starting. I'm going to try and find Bar to watch it in tomorrow. I don't know if they're doing public viewings, but I know a couple of places that have uh, beer gardens where you, you can watch on a big screen or something like that. So you're going to get your daughter to paint your face and then stomp through the streets of Augsburg. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I've never done that when I came in for the 2008 European Championships and I was in Germany and everyone had those little like stick Germany flags mm-hmm. where, it, where it was like the, the tricolour Germany flag and you just sort of scraped it across your face face and you had the german colors but you can't really get one of those for st george's flag so plus i god like do you want to be a 40 year old bloke with like st george's flag painted on your face no not at all like i find just the st george flag well i mean we've spoken about the flag before and how we feel about it yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't be comfortable having it in my window here I, i'd feel more comfortable flying a german flag 
<laughs> to not upset the locals. I mean, I'd happily fly it from the window or something like that. But, like, I wouldn't go out and buy one for the specific purposes of doing it. But Okay, so for the World Cup, as long as we qualify, I'm definitely buying you a set of those flags for your car. And you can zip along the autobahn with your St. George flag. Yeah, I mean, it would be a good test to see how uh, open uh, German society is to an England fan. I imagine they're pretty open. It's pretty good. But uh, have, you got, have you got a wall chart? Have you got, like, panini stickers? Have you, have you gone a bit football crazy? No, I've I've never really been that kind of person. I mean, to be honest, I didn't really care about football when I was young. I was always more of a rugby lad, and it wasn't until I went to uni when I met my flatmates that had been assigned to me. Three of them were season ticket holders at Premier League clubs, so I was like, okay, if I'm going to have friends, I need to get into football. And that was really the point where I started following it at all with any sort of religious element. Uh, <laughs> and, and now I am a diehard football fan who doesn't watch rugby at all. So I, I guess the, the tide has turned for me. But no, I've got a screenshot on my phone of the schedule. That's about as dedicated as I've been. I Certainly when I lived in Scotland, I was much more of a fervent football supporter, both for Newcastle and for England. When I first moved here, I remember plenty of times sitting in pubs and like screaming at televisions while bemused Germans stared at us. But I think over time now, I'm <laughs> less i guess i'll find out i'll find out on sunday if i'm still as loud because i'm one of those shouty football fans who's like shouting at the television and, and it's not You're and like a total <laughs> embarrassment um kicking furniture and stuff like that but yeah but yeah i remember <laughs> i remember distinctly when jonas gutierrez scored for newcastle to make sure that they avoided relegation i jumped up and jumped on one of our mutual friends feet and i just came down and i landed on his foot and i was like shit and he's like it's okay i understand <laughs> I feel no pain. <laughs> I feel nothing. I think, I mean, it's always been a bit challenging. I mean, obviously, we, we met each mm. other at an English pub. Yeah, it was during the 2012 European Championships. It was. That's where it all began. And now we have a podcast together. Look at us now. <laughs> <laughs> In spite of it being an English pub, it was basically the two of us. Mm. <laughs> and then there was just a load of Irish and Scottish lads. <laughs> who were just really not happy the fact that we were supporting England in an English pub I mean there were lots of Irish pubs in the city of Nuremberg but they were all full so yeah we ended up being like foreigners in our own land and I, I'm not particularly great at that kind of confrontation because I sound so painfully English whereas you <laughs> you have your Geordie accent which they all kind of accept as being as close as possible to Scottish or Irish uh, as an Englishman can get and you lived in Scotland so you have double kudos and they, they like you whereas me they're just like fuck that guy I'm totally used to it <laughs> totally used to like I mean maybe that is that they like us but I think more than anything after after living in Scotland for as long as I did and going through as many football tournaments as I did watching England you experience that rivalry like right in your face and so for me mm. like what we experience is quite minor I mean I've been upset before by what people have said but that's usually because it's people people are like saying stuff that i, I would expect who, who don't yeah. know me to say or like some kind of abrasive fan of another home nation to say but not my mates but yeah most of the time people are cool yeah i mean this is the problem it, it does bring out that tribal element of course I mean, of course yeah our group is full of people from all over the home nations and they're all we always get on really really well but it's only football matches <laughs> where suddenly we're a bunch of pricks Actually, i don't <laughs> think we ever instigated i mean if we do then i would I'd apologise, but I don't think we ever instigate. I think it's just the fact that we are England fans and the reputation of England fans is so poor. It sort of just gravitates mm -hmm. towards us, but I'm rooting for yeah. Scotland, except obviously when they play England and I'm rooting for 
for Wales as well. It's one of the things that I, that was always instilled <laughs> in me was like you support your home nations. Yeah, I absolutely forgot to mention Wales at the start. I'm absolutely supporting them as well. It's all right. Boris all. Johnson did the same thing. Did you not see Boris Johnson had said that uh, he wished Scotland and England and everyone else well in the tournament? And it was like, by everyone else, do you mean Wales? <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it's like, why did he even bother pretending he knows what happens in the real world? The man's got jet lag from flying to Cornwall. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what a fucking dick. I really enjoyed watching Wales as Wales romp to the semi-finals in the at the last European Championships and as Scotland's first major championship since 1998. Coincidentally, that's the year I moved to Scotland. I remember distinctly the last tournament they were in, which they didn't set on fire. So I'm hoping Scotland <laughs> do well against the Czech Republic and Croatia and lose decisively against England. <laughs> <laughs> Here at Decades From Home, we try and share the burden of the creation of this podcast. So my part is is running the Twitter and putting together the notes for the podcast. And one of the things that I've tried to do is look ahead to our drop days and see what's going on. A lot of the time, it's stuff about the war. <laughs> and so, yeah, I leave that. <laughs> We're not going to talk about that on the podcast. There's enough people talking about that, I think, on, on exactly. Twitter. Exactly. So, yeah, <laughs> the, 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 yeah, maybe if the, the reunification of Germany, we'll definitely mention that when the time comes. But other than that, <laughs> we're not going to mention that. But, yeah, good news for any German out there and any American out there especially is that on the day that we drop, listener, if you're listening, on the day we release, it is Dirk Nowitzki's birthday, arguably the most famous living German in America. The, the guy from the insurance ads. He is the guy from the insurance ads, but that's not why he's so massively famous in the US. I thought he's just really good at selling insurance. I thought, like, he's a, this tall guy, he's blinded at selling insurance. <laughs> the ideal spokesman. I want someone who really has to protect themselves because they're so massive. <laughs> I don't trust a short guy to sell his insurance, but this giant, he's telling me... Well, I mean, he is he is an absolute giant. He's seven foot tall, which is two meter 13. So yeah, he, he's a, a mountain of a man. Wow. And he's also from our neck of the woods. He's from Würzburg. Uh, oh, right. That's where okay. he started his career. So he's a, a Bavarian boy as well. Uh, and yeah, it's his birthday. Uh, so yeah, happy birthday, Dirk. I, I'm sure you're listening. <laughs> so I thought whilst we have a brief opportunity to talk about Dirk, one thing I love about Dirk, obviously, if you don't know who Dirk is, he is a basketball player from Germany who moved from DJK Würzburg to the Dallas Mavericks back in 1998. Did he play for them for his entire career? His entire NBA career yeah. was with them and he retired in 2019. Mm. He's the most successful European by a mile and he's one of the most successful players ever in the NBA. Champion in 2011, is the MVP in the finals in 2011, the first European to ever do that. He was 14-time All-Star, uh, four-time all-NBA first team, five-time All-NBA second team, three-point contest champion, uh, teammate of the year. He was also Bundesliga top scorer, <laughs> Bundesliga most... He's just... His accolades is a massive list. I love that teammate of the year. He's like, nice lad. He's a nice lad of the year. He's the canny lad of the year. This is <laughs> one of the interesting things about him. Obviously, at that level of, of sports, you have to be a bit of a bastard to be really successful. If you watch the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix, you'll see that one of the defining characteristics was that he was a complete dick to everyone <laughs> his teammates yeah. his opponents he was he was hard uh, and Dirk is like the polar opposite he is a sweet natured lovely massive German and even the owner uh, of the Mavericks who's uh, Mark Cuban uh, who's on America's version of Hull and de Leuven mm. Dragon's Den for the UK um, he's always like 
espoused how how wonderful and, and sweet Dirk is. One of the things I love about Dirk as well is his nicknames because obviously Novitsky and Dirk uh, are not particularly easy, so all the Americans just call him Dirk. And so they gave him some amazing nicknames. First up, Dirk Diggler. Uh, from Boogie Nights, which is a pretty great nickname. It's too obvious. It's too it obvious, though, right? It's but too yeah, obvious. that's got to help in the dressing room. They also called him the German Wunderkind. Did they just have a big book of like German stereotypes? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why you have to preface the word Wunderkind with German, because you're literally speaking German when you call him Wunderkind. The Germanator, which is it's pretty excellent. <laughs> it's okay. I'll take it. Yeah. The German is great. But the absolute best is the dunking Deutschman. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, see, now that is a far better... That's a far better nickname than all the others. All the others, it feels like they were workshopping. That's like the notes from the meeting that they were workshopping his nickname. Mm-hmm. And they're like, what should we have? Oh, I think we could call him the Wunderkind. Oh, I don't think our demographic know Wunderkind. The German Wunderkind? Ah, oh, yeah, that's a good... <laughs> they eventually got to the right name. Yeah, happy birthday, Dirk Nowitzki. You massive, lovely man. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I forgot! I forgot one. Fuck the what? seven foot schnitzel. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, there's a, I found a whole list I hadn't seen. Baron von Schlammenstein <laughs> and the Berlin Tool. <laughs> He's not even from Berlin. <laughs> they don't care. <laughs> You'd be called like yeah. They'd use London in your nickname if you were over there, mate. I'd <laughs> oh, be very sad. Oh dear, that was excellent. (laughs) So last week we looked at a small array of things that we still find a little odd here in Germany, even after a decade of living here. Sometimes things just remain odd, no matter how long you're exposed to them. We deliberately avoided looking at language last week. That is a well too deep to simply skirt around. We need at least a moment to plunge into it and let the cool waters of linguistic confusion whet our appetites. Oh, that's a beautiful image, that is. (laughs) German is maligned the world over for being ugly slash hilarious. Scream, ich liebe dich, at your significant other to prove that this can, at times, be true. Ugly, yet utterly hilarious. We here at Decades From Home refute these sweeping statements and have, after years of plugging away, fallen in love with the language itself. It is full of astounding words and structures that pull you ever closer into the centre of its web. Countless videos on YouTube highlight the nastiness of German when compared to French, Spanish or English, or whatever language you like by pitting the relevant words for, let's say, butterfly against one another. Sure, the results are comedic and indeed went viral. Schmetterling is a positively elegant word when compared to the abstract lunacy of butterfly. Yeah, it's that really famous video, isn't it, where it's just French, English and uh, Italian, and then you've got a German guy in lederhosen <coughs> shouting. Exactly, yeah, screaming it. That was, that was how he made it funny. And it was funny. Like I, yeah. I laughed and I, I watched it in class with students. And yeah, mm. a lot of Germans were like, that's not how you say those words. And it's like, yeah, I know, but come on, it's funny. But I am now at the point, yeah, schmetterling is, is a nice word, I think. And butterfly is kind of mad. I, I try not to think too hard about English words because they can be a little bit bizarre mm. and i think the thing that like i certainly enjoy about german words mostly is like especially nouns is that they can be like very exact they can often just tell you exactly what the thing is it's the combination of two words perhaps that have been slammed together to give a very specific meaning more on that later yeah okay Ooh, <laughs> foreshadowing <laughs> so i mean there is still a whole raft of words in german we love because they're frankly hilarious mm. to us uh, let's get that caveat 
out there right yeah. away. This is just us thinking they're funny. Hilarious, but uh, we, we think they're funny with love. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. This comes from a place of deep affection. Yeah. We're not just hitting it with a stick. Yeah. So for your listening pleasure, let's have a look at some of the funny German words we have met along the way and how they can impact your life as a non-German. So in English, milk is not a source of comedic anything, never mind gold. But here, there are some funny types of milk. Let's start with my personal choice in the dairy aisle, which is Fettarm Milke, which is low-fat. Fettarm, low-fat. There are reports online that some people have avoided Fettarm milk because they took the name too literally and feared that by drinking that particular type of milk, they would in fact end up with Fettarmen, fat arms which is pretty incredible staying with literal understanding of german types of milk it's probably best if we just ever so quickly mention dick milk (laughs) yeah dick milk turns out dick milk is in fact soured milk and is even advertised by one major brand burkett's gardener land as being just like from grandma's times good fucking god what has grandma been up to as soon as you say the word dick in german to an english speaker there isn't I mean, we're already sort of culturally attuned to innuendo. Oh, this isn't even innuendo, it's just a no. red dick. <laughs> it's blasted with a capital D. Every British person is walking past giggling like a small school child. Yeah, it's quite normal. I think it's a test of how long you've been here when you stop seeing this. Mm. When I first saw it, I was like, I'm never ever touching dick milk. And yeah, I mean, soured mm. milk. Like, do we even sell that in the UK? Is dick milk even a thing there? Sour cream. Sour cream, sure, yeah. But... That's what I was thinking. You get sour cream. But I guess you've got a lot more curd-based products in, in Germany, obviously with quark. And yeah, I, I think there's a lot more sort of milk offshoot products. I mean, thankfully, there's no dick zana. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And if you don't know what that means, I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Dick comes up uh, um, uh, quite often due to the fact that it means thick or fat in German. So that's good news for immature men like the two of us. Dick is such a positive thing here that it's not unusual to see things calling themselves super dick, which is just (laughs) visual gold. Oh, I'm a child. A dick with a cape. Take that for a visual image that isn't going to fade from memory in a hurry. Dick with a cape. Super dick. I feel like anything I say now will only incriminate me further, so... Uh, let's just move on. Yeah. <laughs> this might already be too much dick for your personal tastes. I wish I'd read that sentence before I'd said it. This might already be too much dick for your personal tastes, and we wouldn't blame you for that. And if you're thinking, I need to get out of here, and you're looking for the nearest exit, then you'll be looking for the nearest Ausfahrt. <laughs> Countless road trips have been perked up for English speakers by the simple joy of seeing a word containing fart being highlighted with a masuvaro over the side of the autobahn. A masuv. <laughs> That's how I'm saying it. I'm sticking with it. I'm edging towards 40, and it still makes me smile pretty much every time. Connected to this is the German word for father. Vater, which sounds like a very harsh summary of the patriarch's role in the family. It is possible that for the Vater to be looking for the Abfart from his autofart. Fart, <laughs> fart, fart. I mean, it's one of those first words that you learn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, en- entry and exit are good things to know. <laughs> but, it, yeah, it still makes me smile. You see stories of people coming to Germany for the first time and they don't know what it means exit and they're just like, what is this town that I've never heard of that is everywhere? Yeah, yeah. Why does everyone keep going for the Ausfart, you know? But, and it's funny as well because you get the word Eingang, which I get, like, Gang is sort of passageway or, like, hallway mm-hmm. or something like this. And, like, Eingang, like that evokes something so i mean before a male can become a father a farter he has to first become a man 
To get to this point, he has to progress from being a booby. Uh, if he is a chubby little fella, like I was, then he could be described as a dicker booby, which is just glorious. <laughs> it's just too much. Oh my God, dicker booby. Uh, so even something as simple as numbers can be an issue for us man children. Eins, zwei, drei, vier, fünf, sechs. <laughs> True story, my Latin teacher failed me once on an exam because I capitalised the Latin six, which is the same as the German, but it is written sex. Screw you, Mrs. Stone. What? <laughs> See, this is something I hate. It's it's one of those problems you have with language learning is I do a lot of Duolingo to practice my German. I can't hear the R on certain words. So the, my biggest pain in the moment is, is Schöner and the difference between Schöner with an E and Schöner with an R. And I just can't mm. hear the difference. And so you get like a lot of these sorts of mistakes and Duolingo will will fail you if you don't get the E or the R right. It doesn't just correct you and go, oh, by the way, that's the difference. I find that kind of pernickety sort of marking process a little bit annoying. Yeah, screw you, Mrs. Stone. I, I mean, you do have some <laughs> German regions where they roll the R. Hrostal is a town near me that I had one particular train conductor that would roll the hell out of that R. But generally speaking, this is one of my problems with learning German is that to hear the E or the ER is really hard. So obviously it doesn't Mm -hmm. matter to me because I understand it anyway. But anyway, let's not get Mm -hmm. into the complexities of learning the language. So what's your favourite animal? I'm a huge fan of the practical naming structure used in German for many animals. What's a bat? How would you describe it? Flying mouse maybe. Bingo. Fledermouse. A winner for funny German animal name surely has to be the gritty yet charming fox. Say it with me now. <laughs> fuchs. Especially in my northern tones, it sounds majestic. And I don't give a fucks <laughs> if you don't like it. It's also quite a common surname. And there is total delight to be found in meeting someone called Fuchs, as their full name sounds like a searing indictment of their sexual prowess. We give thanks to the Austrian footballer Christian Fuchs, who is still plying his trade at Leicester City. What's the nickname of Leicester City, I hear you ask? The Foxes! Boom! <laughs> Serendipity. I love it how it works out. It's great, isn't it? I do love this as a surname. Yeah, I think there's some pretty solid surname, but Fuchs, it's fun to say, mm-hmm. it's fun to read, It's it's got everything. And I like foxes, so I mean, what, what's, what's not to like? I'm assuming our audience feel the same. Who doesn't like a fox? Oh, at this point, if they don't like it, then they can respectfully not say anything. So they can respectfully share it with their friends and tell them about everything else they did like until the point we talked about foxes too much. I mean, a brave new world is unveiling itself from the ashes of the pre-COVID world. We've now come so far that Dunkin' Donuts deliver all over Bavaria. Oddly, it's with DHL, but anyway. In German, there are a few words for a donut. Up north, near the capital, they are called Berliner. Uh, a la JFK's eternally cited German faux pas. Ha ha, Hans, he called himself a jam donut. How hilarious. Uh, down here, though, where we live, in Bavaria, there are no Berliners. There are Krapfen. I don't want to eat a Krapfen. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I like to, I'd like to eat a, a pile of Krapfen, please. A towering mass of steaming Krapfen. <laughs> but wouldn't you rather eat a Berliner? Nah, I like I like Krapfen. I like Krapfen because I like, first of all, K in German is fun. It's, it's <laughs> quite guttural sound. And the pfft sound is like it's not a sound you get in english so much so being able to say crapfen that's that's enjoyable and, and berliner it just seems like a lazy naming convention i think i'm just haunted by the pf uh, because the <laughs> word that i struggled the hardest to learn was the word for obligation verflichtung verflichtung yeah which has a pfl yeah that's really hard which isn't a sound we have in english uh, and the amount of times i'd be like verflichtung verflichtung 
and people just look at me like I don't know what this Englishman's trying to say. We've just gone through a holiday in in Bavaria. Uh, I think it's around the country as well. And um, Pfingsten. Yeah, that's the same. And then you've got a word I hate using, and I always get Pflaume. Pflaume. Mm-hmm. Pflaume. Uh, for plum. Yeah, and and uh, that's a word that I avoid. I just avoid saying it. I don't buy them. Look at them from a distance and go, one day I'll be able to say that word without people laughing in my face. I'll have the Erdbeer bitter. Diese dunkler Erdbeer. Was? The dunkler Erdbeer. The grosser, runder, dunkler Erdbeer. Like German service staff just going, what the fuck is wrong with this guy? <laughs> one final one to finish on, and to be fair, this is not actually the fault of German. It's very much a British issue, I fear. Want to go and see some art? Sure you do. You're all kinds of cultured. What's that? What's the German for art? Kunst! I'm sure I'm not alone. Well, my brain at least. But each time I see this word, it is at once rearranged to form the harshest of English swear words. It really causes me a problem, and I'm sure it's a form of willing dyslexia. T and S are instantly switched. I no longer see art. All I see is the reason to smile like a foxing idiot. <laughs> a foxing idiot. Foxing idiot, even. There's this shop around the corner from us that's called, like, Kunstlerladen. Mm-hmm. Or Kunstladen. Every time I see it, I just like go, Kunst! It's a fun word to say. <laughs> but the amount of times I've seen someone on Instagram who's like come to Germany for the first time, their, their timeline is filled with museum galleries, Kunsthalle. <laughs> and I think it is hard for British people to not see a, a really harsh sea bomb when they see Kunst. There's there's a, a particular, particular to the Augsburg region, a name that is even more fun to say than Kunst or Fuchs, which is the name of a very famous family that were a large banking family during the 1500s called the Fuggers. And clearly that is incredibly fun to say because you can often you'll walk around and there's a big statue in the centre of Augsburg of, I think it's Johann Fugger, patriarch of the family. And, and I, I like to turn to my wife and go, fucking hell, that's a fucking excellent statue. <laughs> and she just goes, you <laughs> fucking idiot. <laughs> or a fucking idiot in this case. But yeah, any opportunity to find a word that sounds like a swear word, I'll take it every time. This is this is our destiny as man children. <laughs> I know. And hopefully, I'm pretty confident we're not alone. It's a constant amusement <laughs> that we managed to live here for 10 years, get married, and still find jobs without somebody spotting that we're clearly imbeciles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So all the way back in episode 14, uh, 50% of the way back in our back catalogue, with today being episode 28, uh, we spoke briefly about footballers who adapted their accents to the countries they were working in. And we highlighted a couple of players who are now playing at Dortmund. Another player is Joey Barton. Joey Barton played in France and he adopted a French accent, which was really weird because Joey was some like hyper-English hooligan type who suddenly was like talking like Voltaire. It was really it was weird. To further refresh anyone's memories about Joey Barton, he's an English professional football manager now and former player who played as a midfielder. He played 269 games in the Premier League, including 130 for Manchester City, uh, as well as for Nick's beloved Newcastle United Away the lads. Burnley. Yeah, indeed. Away the lads. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he is currently the manager. <laughs> Sorry. Composure. Okay. (laughs) This is is how I get Nick. I just use his language with my tones. That was beautiful. Joey is currently the manager of League One side Bristol Rovers. This brings us to the latest in Joey Barton news because Joey 
who was famous for being a total dick on the pitch, fouling opponents and generally being an unsavoury example of what an Englishman is. These dickish inclinations normally fade with age. We grow. We become wise. Our empathy gland continues to grow. Not Mr. Barton. Barton is currently in courts and denies assaulting the former Barnsley manager and German Daniel Stendel after a League One match between Barnsley and Fleetwood in April 2019. We're in no way condoning or glorifying Joey's actions. Yeah, he had a very storied non-football career of just casual violence. He's a total dick. He's a nightmare. And, and we both sincerely hope that the court reaches the right verdict on the matter. However, that will have to wait due to the fact that the trial has been postponed and discharged by the judge who said things were getting lost in translation over a cross-national video link. That's right, the trial began this month and Mr Stendhal began giving evidence about the alleged incident over a video link from a courtroom in Hanover, but after more than an hour of translation difficulties between Sheffield Crown Court and Germany, Judge Jeremy Richardson QC told the jury it's not right to struggle on. This is kind of why I want to talk about this, because how the hell is that even possible? Is this like a sudden legacy of Brexit that we can't find someone to translate German and English for a trial? What's happened here? There was so little detail in the article, and obviously with court cases you don't get a lot of information, but mm. my assumption was with this story that either there was a technological breakdown, that was my assumption, that was more than likely it's German technical problems, or it could be a microphone issue, or possibly could be to do with dialect. If you've got a translator who's, or someone who speaks German or Hochdeutsch, and they're confronted with someone who speaks a heavy dialect, it might not be so easy to translate necessarily. So it could have been one of those three options, I, I was assuming. It could just be that the translator was sick that day and they're like, who speaks English? And be like, oh, I, I speak a little. <laughs> like, okay, you're translator today. Good luck. I mean, the question also is, was it a translator in Hanover or was the translator translating in the courtroom that was the other thing like if it was the translator was in the room that could be in Hanover that could cause an issue I guess Mm. but equally you'd think at this point after 15-16 months of a pandemic where everyone's been doing everything online people would be fairly used to microphone issues connection issues they would have worked out a system I'm not sure if this is an indictment of German technological problems or dialect or whether it's an indictment of the completely chaotic court process in the UK. It's not ideal for anyone. I mean, Judge Richardson told the panel, unfortunately this morning I became increasingly concerned that things are getting lost in translation. He, Stendhal, is a critical witness in this case. It's not fair to him and fair to anyone in this case. He also said it was not anybody's fault that the trial had to be halted, but it was a consequence of the extraordinary measures put in place due to the pandemic. Uh, So the judge, if there was a translator not doing their job very well, the judge has kindly Mm -hmm. pointed in the direction of the pandemic, which, I mean, yeah, obviously things are harder. Yeah, I get that. It's probably a diplomatic approach to to the situation to to mention that. But the court case has been running since 2019. The incidents occurred in 2019, and obviously 2020 was a bit of a write-off. And what you realise in Britain is one of the things that has been has been occurring over a long period of time is, is a lack of funding in the court system and because of that you end up with a massive backlog so this is just one of many cases that still hasn't been properly processed or been properly concluded and it doesn't look like it's going to happen anytime soon i mean a new trial date will be fixed after the requirements have been worked out on how to bring mr sendel to the uk to bring his evidence so he's going to have to travel for this now and the judge pointed out that that nick already said it's been postponed for a year because of covid is in fact the oldest case on the sheffield crown court's books so this is yeah this is now historic uh, in its own right i guess he said that counsel in the trial would look at the legal situation to see if an exception to current travel bans could be made in the quote service of justice 
uh, which is quite nice. But it's an utterly shit reason to be allowed to go to the UK to give evidence against Joey Barton, who will probably take the opportunity to throw a cigarette at you or something. Yeah, yes, yeah, just chuck a chair at you <laughs> as you're walking past. But one of the other things, and, and this is something that I see almost on a, on a weekly basis, is for German speakers communicating with British speakers, it's one of the hardest things. Because British English isn't, I mean, everyone seems very concerned with American English or British English, but British English can be a mm. real labyrinth, you know. It, it's very non-specific, it's very indirect, but also we use a hell of a mm. lot of idioms just in our natural speech. One of the most challenging things for, for groups is uh, that, that I give is let them read an article in mm-hmm. the Sun newspaper. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't recommend it. It's a shit newspaper run by a megalomaniac, but the thing about it is it's written, it's written almost by like an illiterate child. <laughs> who's just learned some random words and it, and it is just the language of tabloid journalism is pretty bizarre and that sort of bleeds into, into the way we communicate in English anyway so it could even be as simple as it's not even a German dialect thing it's a British communication problem too I mean the other thing as well as idioms which is absolutely a difficult area but I think they're quite easy to learn phrasal verbs I oh, think God, cause a yeah, lot yeah. more problems. Yeah. How did you get on with it and what did you get up to on the weekend? I mean, get all the phrasal verbs that have get as its verb and the preposition that follows. None of them have anything to do with actually obtaining anything, mm-hmm. really. It's, it's, a, it's a real minefield. And there are mm-hmm. thousands of them in Britain. And I think the Americans use them, use them differently. And they also use bad grammar. Whereas I think in the UK, we're a little bit ahead of the curve on tenses. Uh, in comparison I mean you'd hope so yeah you would hope so you'd hope so but I mean he were waiting for me you do hear that quite often I mean it's not just that kind of inbuilt mistakes you find it's there's like a whole raft of particular language for different areas different usages different ways of communicating a lot of new words as well a lot and they enter the dictionary like super quick you know we had recently this is as close as we'll ever get to discussing the topic of Meghan Markle and Prince Harry um, hi Katya Megxit <laughs> was the term that was used and that's now in the, in the Collins Dictionary like Megxit and it's like how often are you going to f- bloody use that mm. word why is it in the dictionary and it's like, oh well so many people are using it at the moment yeah like now yeah. but in 25 years no one's going to give a shit I'm surprised they give a shit now yeah yeah Anyway, uh, that, that's enough coverage. Yeah, that but like the idea, yeah, but yeah, but the idea that there's a lot of new words and, and, and it can become very confusing if you're not keeping track. I mean, even the space of like 20 miles mm-hmm. can make a difference in the vocabulary being used by people mm-hmm. on the street. Uh, and every generation has its own version of it. I mean, when you hear like language today in the UK, words mm-hmm. like peng, yeah, that's fine. Mm-hmm. Go for it. I have no idea what the fuck you're saying, but that's very much the point of it. And I'm not going to stand in the way of those kinds of uh, street <laughs> language. I, I quite... Quite There's like a sequence it. in the film, uh, the the gentleman, I think it's called, with Matthew McConaughey and, and Charlie Hunnam, and Charlie Hunnam is uh, he's a Geordie as well. And there's a sequence where he's talking to a load of like gangster guys uh, in some housing estate in London. And it, what's the phrase? He goes, "You all be like big tough roadmen." And then like you realise, oh, it's like uh, it's like slang for, for someone who operates in the street, drug dealers, and sort of. I, I think roadman comes originally from Jamaica. The Jamaican English is its own entity, mm-hmm. very much so. And you do have certain words that enter, like rude boy. Rude boy mm-hmm. was was very very standard. Um, but yeah, I mean, phrases like Wagwan Radi, you probably don't hear that much these days. Right, so we've done offensive sounding words and offensive people. Thanks, Joey. It's time for a palate cleanser. Who is the man who unified Germany? 
Who is the hero of the California coastline? Who is the crime-fighting, car-chatting, crim-kicking badass of all badasses? That's right. It's the motherfucking Hoff, yo. Don't hassle the Hoff. <laughs> the king of Germany, officially. Uh, a day with the Hoff is better than a day without them. This is a universal truth that even the German government has accepted. After many years of refuting the Hoff's claim that it is he who brought East and West Germany back together, the Gaul, backing down from their position that it was diplomacy and thousands of hours of hard work that united Germany, they are working their way back into his good graces. And who can blame them? All we all really want is for the Hoff to acknowledge us. So, how do you make up for such an insult on his good name? Fruit basket? Voucher for Karstadt? A free BMW? None of these would suffice. That's right. There is only one option. And that's to hit him straight where he feels the most. His ego. But lockdown is slowly lifting. We can't fly him over. There are no cities to reunite. What the bloody hell can we do? Oh, I know. We can make him the face of the vaccine campaign for Germany. <laughs> what a better fit for an out-of-work TV star. Can he speak German? Barely. Can he be trained to say the script correctly? Apparently not. Can he bring the charisma? <laughs> you bloody Betty can. What I'm looking for is uh, to get life back to normal is the freedom. The freedom to get vaccinated and to go around the world. What I'm looking for. What an opening. Of course he's still looking for something. What is he looking for? Freedom. Jackpot. The most important experience of the pandemic for me is death. It causes death. Get vaccinated. The advice I can give to everyone in America and to the world and to Germany is get vaccinated. You can too. Hoff off. The most important experience, deep sigh breath. Because you know, it's been hard for me, is death. What? Has the German government somehow unveiled the technology to bring dead celebrities who we don't know are dead back from the dead? How much does this advert cost? It causes death. Ooh, crisis averted. The Hoff lives. The Hoff lives. I can't work out if it's intentionally meant to look bad. You see this a lot with Deutschland Radio Funk. You see it with like TV. There's like an almost DIY element to this stuff. Like if you listen to Deutschland Radio Funk long mm. enough, you'll definitely hear some dead air. I've heard plenty of times where... They're doing the news report and they haven't turned the mic off of the person who was doing an interview beforehand so you can still hear them talking in the background or they haven't hung up on the call to a politician and you can hear the politician going, yes, that's all good, yes, is that good, danke. And it feels almost like home homemade radio or homemade media. And it's the same with that. You can hear the guy saying action at the start and you're like, it has to be self-aware. But at the same time, having lived in Germany long enough, I can't work out if it's just badly made it feels like they've they've got a correspondent in california who's like he needs to go and, go and see the hoff and like him saying action at the start mm -hmm. like there is definitely a german man filming this this is definitely supported by the Bundeskanzlerei. yeah we've sent a diplomat <laughs> like they've sent the, the u.s diplomat to come and interview the hoff it's the only one he'll listen to the only one he'll talk to <laughs> i tweeted out that video as soon as i saw it i was like this 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 is the kind of content that my followers will want to see but the the thing that got us was the fact that uh, a lot of people were asking oh is germany still infatuated with david hasselhoff because that's always the, the the belief is that david hasselhoff is in some way uh, still a, a going concern in, mm. in germany really he's not and what i'd said to someone was i think 
British and Americans are infatuated with the idea that Germany is still infatuated with David Hasselhoff because I don't really think he is but you do yeah. see him in advertising campaigns there is a really famous example where he was on a political talk show a few years ago with the leader of the FDP Christian Lindner to really just watch it is it's something to behold he obviously doesn't speak German but what they do when they have American or British or English speaking actors who don't speak any German they, they synchronize the discussion around them and he, they have an earpiece in and everything's translated and then then when they speak it's translated for everybody else with a, a voiceover mm. and he just he just starts going after like Christian Lindner and you could see Christian Lindner going like I don't he, I mean Christian Lindner always looks like he's got a face like a smacked ass but he's got his look on his face yeah. like what do what how do I deal with this what do I what do I say to this guy <laughs> I mean it's, it's dangerous ground like if you attack the Hoff there is going to be a portion of German culture that's like what, why are you attacking this out of work TV actor like why <laughs> but I think, I think the audience is clearly on the Hoff's side you can see just by the look of them they're all like yeah man like you, you break it down for this idiot and like you know that he, he can't really say anything because anything he says is always going to be misconstrued but I think I think he, he still has he still has currency in German society today. I mean, he's a very effective tool for marketing. Like, if you mm-hmm. wanted someone who was as recognisable, as famous, like you'd normally mm-hmm. have to pay a lot more money, but I think Hasselhoff, Hasselhoff does it at a pretty decent rate. And he, he loves the country. He loves Germany. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it well, genuinely does. Well, he does. I mean, he always comes across as someone who's like super positive, and obviously he's had his his troubles in the mm. past, and he's not perfect, but he he is. He does seem to have a lot of affection, possibly because he was so successful with his music career. Yeah. Certainly more successful in in the nineties before he became like ironic, David Hasselhoff. That seems to be the new thing. Is like mm. he's he's in on the joke. Well, that's mm. it. He did a, a a comedy series in the UK, which was all about how he was a failed actor, and it was super self aware very funny uh, as well it was it was a well-made uh, comedy show but i guess it, to to translate that into german and show it, it wouldn't work because it's so mm. deeply set in irony that i think to translate it would, would make it a, a real challenge so there is more good news in that that's not the only video there is another one yay in which he says <laughs> i david hasselhoff am supposedly a hero <laughs> because of Baywatch and Night Rider and the Berlin Wall. It's amazing. But I found freedom in vaccination. You can too. I mean, that line is just perfect. Action. Airmail. Oh, that's right. I, David Hasselhoff, am supposedly a hero because of Baywatch and Night Rider and the Berlin Wall. But I found freedom with vaccination. You can too. Hoff, off. Supposedly, I love a hero. I love because Baywatch, Knight Rider, and the Berlin Wall. Yeah, it's the Berlin Wall. It's the bit like it's a TV show that he did exactly. in the in the, in the mid nineties. You know, I watch Knight Rider every so often on YouTube. It's so it's so bad. It's good. Yeah, <laughs> like I wasn't going to get the vaccination. Then I saw this video, and now I'm definitely going to no, get it. I'm Emil Hoch. <laughs> <laughs> you got to respect him. He's taking the Enspan's money for the adverts, but still pointing out that he is the reason we live in the United Nation. What a guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wonder. I, I mean, yeah, I guess maybe he did get paid a fee. I kind of assumed he would do it for free, you know, because he's such a good guy. But I imagine you know, they probably did pay him, didn't they? I reckon, they? I reckon they would have paid him. But what, for me at least, is the crowning moment of the whole campaign is the hashtag which means sleeves up which Hoff delivers with the absolute authority of a man who knows with all of his soul how German should be spoken without speaking it 
Finally, this week, we are back on the subject of music. We mentioned blas music last week, often called umpa in English. Now, if I were to ask you what your favourite blas music instrument was, what would you say? Trumpet? Horn? Bassoon? How's about the glory that is the Alphorn? <laughs> you into it? Kind of. My entire connection to Alphorn is like the Ricola campaign. Ricola! <laughs> <laughs> it's not an instrument you see kicking about the streets like buskers using it. I don't think I've ever seen anyone playing an Alphorn. Although I did watch a few videos recently, one of which was someone playing on a makeshift stage on the top of the Alps with an Alphorn. And it sounded amazing. It sounded really good in that sort of environment. But whether it would sound the same in like mm. a concert hall or on the mean streets of Augsburg, I'm not entirely sure. So what has been stuck in Rickler adverts or stereotypes of those who live in the Alps turns out to be on the cutting edge of new bloody music. Madness. Meet Elania Berkey. She, apparently disturbs traditionalists with her new alpine style quote she manages to not only belt out some of those alpine classics that we all love uh to also play jazz and blues she has somehow reinvented the instrument and given it a boom among the younger generation berkey is swiss often out and about on alpine pastures as a lover of the mountain life and she is considered the best alpine virtuoso in the world berkey has thought about questions such as are cows musical or do they maybe even feel the groove in their hooves when the pasture is filled with music even is a heartfelt moo already music in some necks of the mountains it's a resounding yes to all of these or the cowbell cowbell of course i, I need more cowbell more cowbell i mean it's, it's it, listening to her stuff just said to simon i think it sounds a bit like edm there's like a little bit of like a beetha chill out in there and there's a lot of very interesting things she's doing. It is something to see when you've got mm-hmm. a full setup of instruments and people playing the drums and the guitar, and then there's a keep big alpine <laughs> horn in the middle. <laughs> and you're just like, what's going to happen? <laughs> she's going to blow the horn. So the problem that she faces is that the alphorn is a Swiss national sanctuary, like the Matterhorn, Rudelwieser, and William Tell. Music associations have maintained their association statutes for centuries, documents wherein it is meticulously listed which tones and which folk tunes an outpouring player is even allowed to play. These documents do not include women who wear shorts when playing the outpouring, women who play weird notes on the outpouring, women who prefer to play at world music festivals and at yodeling festivals. Berkey is smashing the outpouring paradigm, the first female outpouring player to jam with jazz musicians and founded what she calls Funky Swiss Alphorn, a genre full of juxtaposition. It's like when someone uses the word trendy when they use the word funky, isn't it? It's like, meh, funky, you're really trying too hard. What always makes me laugh is the stereotype of Germany is that there's like it's humorless or that it's, it's very rigid, society's quite rigid, and there's a truth in all of those things. But compared to Switzerland, Switzerland's like what Germans wish Germany was like. It's like Switzerland is the better version of Germany. Like when when Germans admire other countries, Switzerland's one of them for sure. It's a way more rigid society and there is a lot more rules and regulations, it feels like, in Switzerland than even in, in Germany. And it's no surprise there's all these regulations about Mm. or prefabricated rules about. I mean, imagine having rules about which notes you can play. Understandably, in the Alps, in the winter, there's probably a note you play that causes an avalanche. I appreciate that. So I understand there might be a requirement for that. But ultimately, (laughs) I imagine there's a lot of people tearing their hair out going, this this woman isn't following the rules. If you become a member of an Alphorn club, you get a little book in which the rules are listed. Okay, certain notes are forbidden. You have to wear a traditional costume. 
and be able to play the whole repertoire of folk tunes. Eliana Berkey did not adhere to these rules at the Federal Yodeling Festival in Interlachen, which is considered the World Yodeling and Alphorn Championships. She played blues and was disqualified. (laughs) Surprisingly. You always have to risk something, she said. You can see the tracked and clad faces of the judges losing their minds when she rocked up in shorts and boots to blare out some blues. Like, imagine, imagine disqualifying someone for, like, playing the blues. Oh. I mean, this is the federal yodeling festival. This is not some Mickey Mouse regional tournament. This is the federally supported oh, yeah. yodeling festival. Of course, like <laughs> God it. forbid. I get a feeling she's a smart operator. That's all intended. She knew she would get disqualified. She knew it would kick up a fuss. Mm-hmm. She knows how she looks. Uh, like obviously not dressed similarly to all these other contestants. I think she understands what she's doing more mm. than perhaps the judges would like to admit. Absolutely. Smashing these rules is one of the best ways to get noticed, especially on an international stage. Sure, the diehard Alphorn fans, however small their number might be, might be up in arms about this this woman in shorts doing this, but I mean, they'll be dead in a couple of decades at the most, so she's the new uh, the new formula. I mean, Germany can't say anything about about misogyny there's there's a lot of that going around if you look at just in society you experience a lot you see a lot and structurally socially i mean do you know when when women were allowed to vote in switzerland i was late it was really really late the swiss were yeah not very progressive do you want to take a guess that when women in switzerland gained the right to vote 62 uh no later later (laughs) yeah 74 close 71 oh my god switzerland (laughs) That's bad. A previous referendum on women's suffrage was held on the 1st of February 1959 and was rejected by the majority, 67% of Switzerland's men. 67% of voting men. Yeah, in 1959. And it's just like, I mean, it says a lot. And it doesn't surprise me that there's a, there's probably an element of, of that running. And maybe I'm doing Switzerland a disservice. I suspect I'm probably not. But yeah, there is there is that that to contend with, I think, that it's it's a woman playing a traditional instrument I imagine mo- the majority of the judges in the performance were probably blokes as well. Yeah, and so oh, yeah. you end up with this situation where, yeah, she's she's not going to be their cup of tea for sure. I, I imagine the High Council of the Alphorn Society all have good moustaches. I imagine there's a lot of strong facial hair on that. <laughs> I board. like the idea that they're called the High Council. <laughs> like, if they're not, they they miss the fucking like the bit. fucking wizards. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she faced an uphill challenge because you can't even study Alphorn music at music schools. So Berkey learnt instead the hunting horn, which Mm -hmm. naturally, if you want to learn any horn, go for the hunting one. A traditional Swiss Alphorn is 3.7 metres long. Eliana's is not even half that, coming in at 1.68 metres. The hers is foldable to allow international travel for her worldwide performances. That's pretty dope. And she's long been considered the greatest in her field. Get it? in her field. It's getting, getting worse. As a teenager, she founded her first band in which she rapped <laughs> in Switzerdeutsch and played poppy outporn melodies, which I, I haven't heard that yet. I need to find this because mm-hmm. Switzerdeutsch is already pretty funny. Rapping it on outporn sounds amazing. She also comes from a pretty unusual family. Her siblings are a professional mountain climber, a break dancer, and a goat cheese maker. So Christmas at their house <laughs> must be wild. I want to get an invite now. Uh, the, the other thing I noticed with one of her performances is she had seemed to have 
an attachment. I'm not sure if it's built in or if it's an attachment she has for the Alphorn that is the the finger and mouthpiece mechanism of a trumpet. So you can play. She can play notes with the Alphorn. But yeah, so she's got this like a, like sort of a trumpet attachment, which again I imagine would cause uh, a lot of consternation among the the high council of Alphorn <laughs> wizards or whatever they are. But yeah, she is. She's on the cutting edge. She's taking on a new direction, yeah. An Alphorn sounds piercing, warm, and natural. However, it, it has no finger holes, valves, or other possibilities to play notes with nuances. Normally, you can only play a maximum of 17 tones of the natural tone series over four octaves. For the practical purposes that the Alphorn was originally supposed to fulfill, that was completely sufficient. Indeed, the instrument was not only used to attract cows, but also generally for signals that could be heard from far away. For example, when enemy troops were approaching over a pass, when the cheese was ready to be picked up on the mountain pasture, or when someone's loved one was serenading them from the mountain tile. An outpawn can be heard from 10 kilometres away. Imagine having to use an outpawn instead of parship.de. Yeah, like flirting by, via outpawn must be a, a tricky process, I would I've have thought. I bet there is an outpawndating.ch for Switzerland. <laughs> it's one of the things I love, and I'm really lucky because of where I live, that on a clear day like today, really hot day, I can step out of my house, go um, maybe a kilometre down the road, and I can see the Alps. And the, the sort of alpine region for mm. Alpen that we have, but also in the Alps and then in the Italian side there's a whole like mad different culture that you'd never have heard of and, and like we went to um, Sutirol last year that's just on the other the Italian side of the Alps what was really interesting was to find out like how villages operated so you'd have like the village would basically migrate in the summer up the mountain because it's cooler uh, the men would commute up and down the mm. mountain to to see their families when they weren't working we got to the top of the mountain and you had a school and you had obviously restaurants and stuff like that but you had effectively a second village that had constructed on the top of the mountain and it's a lot like that in a lot of places yeah i mean you don't hear alpine horns so much i've never heard one when i've gone gone hiking what you do hear a lot the cowbells and like that that sound is like summer for me when I've, as soon as i hear a cowbell it's like oh it's summer you know yeah. and you can sort of hear them and it's in the early morning because <laughs> you always start hiking at like seven or eight because it's especially in the summer it gets really hot so you start early so the walk up the mountain isn't so painful the the culture of the mountains and everything is very different but i'll be listening now i'll be listening out for alphorns but i'm gonna download as much eliana berkey as possible yeah. and start blaring it out with my bluetooth speaker on top of. i'm mouth. sure your neighbors will be thinking bloody hell he has integrated <laughs> he's a real schweitzer <laughs> <laughs> so because of her young people want to learn the alphorn again it can even be argued that she has reinvented the instrument, working with instrument makers from Texas and Switzerland to develop a new type of outpouring which can produce more than just the natural notes. The Berkey horn has a mouthpiece that Nick mentioned earlier with valves, so you can play different keys and sequences. So I guess it's only a matter of time before we get our grubby dick hands over a copy of Looking for Freedom done in a jazz outpouring style. Now, wouldn't that be true, Kunst? <laughs> Sorry, dick hands. <laughs> <laughs> tying it together this might be your your greatest script that you've ever written <laughs> it's, it's fantastic I, I, isn't it interesting that, that this sort of, some people are buying into it some people are sort of supporting it and it's interesting as well that you have it's the instrument maker is american americans obviously being the country of the breaking of orthodoxies i guess or at least european orthodoxies probably not their own <laughs> you could see her creating a sort of movement of people that's kind of what happens isn't it when you've got somebody like that's new and exciting and interested doing something different but perhaps she'll find more success outside of switzerland she could be like those peruvian panpipe players that you always see <laughs> 
my panpipe moods you know maybe it'll be alpine horn moods that were sold on the qvc or one of these shopping channels <laughs> well i mean now that they are foldable and you can actually travel with them you aren't limited anymore like it's not like the old days where your your horn was going to stay on that mountain forever because to transport a nearly four meter long horn is just why would anybody do that to have one that's like how's this carbon fiber and foldable and i just love the idea of like oh yeah eliana's musical eliana why don't you go and get your instrument and she like folds out this like, <laughs> three meter long horn telescopic horn <laughs> 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 Yeah, I guess now we've talked about wearing lederhosen and, and I guess the, the addition of an alpine horn should be what we're looking for. Eventually, we're going to wear lederhosen and we're going to play an alpine horn. We need to add a third factor to make this as German as possible or German slash Schweiz as possible. Don't know how many, how many mass and how many vice versa we have to suck down <laughs> for that to form the full equation of ultimate Bavarian Alpness. I don't want to take the risk of drinking too much beer and then trying to play an Alpine horn. I have a feeling that could end with a rather disturbing uh, <laughs> vomit-based uh, accident as as a projectile vomit through an Alpine horn it ends up looping into the air and hitting some poor bugger in the face. <laughs> Hello zusammen. We're at the end of the show, as is traditional. I want to thank all the listeners who shared the podcast this week. Also, specific thanks to Snooker, Nick, and Eat, Explore, Enjoy, among others. If you'd like a shout-out and or eternal gratitude, retweet the show or tag us with hashtag decadesfromhome, all lowercase. As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at decadesfromhome, you can tweet me on at 40percentgerman, you can also get us on at 40percentgerman at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40percentgerman.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is, it's really fucking hot. I'm beginning to lose my mind. I hope you have a lovely weekend. Enjoy the summer sun. And bis zum nächsten Mal. Cheers. Hi there. I'm here for my vaccination appointment. Airmail. Oh. Holy shit. David Hasselhoff, what are you doing here? The freedom to get vaccinated. Seems legit. So, should we wait for the doctor? Airmail. Oh. Wait, 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 wait. Mr. Hasselhoff, I don't think you're qualified to be dishing out vaccines. How come you're holding that needle? Because of Baywatch and Knight Rider and the Berlin Wall. Uh, that's great, mate, but I don't think that qualifies you to be injecting folk with. Ow! I found freedom with vaccination. Huh, fair enough. Wasn't as bad as I thought. Nice one, Dave. Hoff off.